As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm seeing it now. Off the charts, but you gotta play it, Marcus Smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? Ready? I see you, man. Yep. Welcome to Anything as Possible! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for the Athletic, Jay King. And we are coming to you after the Celtics got absolutely trounced by the New York Knickerbockers. And it really kind of uh, put a sour time on what should have been a celebratory occasion because Kemba Walker has returned. And so we will break down Kemba Walker's return and what that uh, means for the Celtics. We'll also talk about get Jay's reaction to the Nets acquiring James Harden. And then we've got some listener questions from you guys. But first, Jay, what was your reaction to, I guess, let's try and be positive here. How do you think Kemba looked in his first 20 minutes back as a Celtic? I thought he looked pretty well. He missed everything as far as jumper-wise, but the play where he drove past Mitchell Robinson and got a bucket was promising. There were a few times he showed off a little bit of the burst, and that's all you want to see. And and then he said that he didn't feel any pain, which is good and would certainly be good if if that remains true. Uh, I think we've got to kind of wait and see how he reacts over the long term because it, this isn't about 
how he's feeling during the regular season. It's not about getting him ready to to score 30 against the Pelicans in March or April or whatever. This is about getting him ready for the playoffs. And I, I thought it was a, a fine start for him. Everything was obviously disjointed. It was one of the most disgusting games I've ever witnessed. But but Kemba, like as far as moving, I thought he looked fine. And defensively too, he had some steals. Um looked looked to be moving pretty well. Yeah, he definitely had his burst. He definitely seemed like he had his bounce. He also just looked like hyped up and looked like someone who hasn't played in a Kemba while. Was smiling? That's shocking. Smiling, but also just like throwing passes, like pretty aggressive. You need you needed to like slow down a bit. He looked pretty hyped to be in the game, which makes sense. You mentioned that his health long term is the most important thing. I thought it was interesting. I think it was before the game he mentioned that he's basically in pain throughout the entire bubble uh, and playoff process, which uh, is not the most surprising. It it is impressive, kind of the how well he was able to play, but he did kind of fade down the stretch of the Raptors series. You don't know how much that uh, overtime game in game six had an impact on him. He didn't look great, especially down the stretch against the Heat. And so it's good that he's uh, feeling well now. It's But the season now with all the kind of games that are being jammed into a shorter time frame, they're being playing many, many games. I don't really expect to see him on back-to-backs, but his knee needs to look good or feel good moving forward because I just think with him in the lineup, they are so much more of a dynamic team. What do you think his impact is, I guess, on the Celtics roster when he does return? I mean, assume when he does return and when Jason Tatum comes back and we actually see um, what this team looks like at full strength. I think the the biggest, most obvious thing is that he's just going to be a, an offensive threat. And they don't have too many elite offensive threats. Just Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, basically. Adding a third to that should be very helpful. Those those guys, when they played together, scored a lot of points last season. I think – and then another side effect, that shitty, shitty big offensive lineup should finally come to an end. Whenever Jason Tatum gets out of health and safety protocol, the Celtics should finally start the starting lineup that they kind of anticipated, which will be Kemba, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and center X – between Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, and Robert Williams. Um, Do you think I, there's any chance that they like move smart to the bench to kind of have a more traditional, like Grant Williams in there? or Because that's still, it, it basically puts Jason Tatum at power forward, which I guess he's tall enough. He's grew, you know, four inches this offseason. But no, the more I talk myself, and there's just no reason. For some reason, we had this uh, going to discussion at the start of the year who would be in the starting lineup. And there's all these great guesses that Grant Williams would be. And I guess that was in the context of Kemba being out. But once Kemba's back, you got to put your best four guys out there. And then you're right, the the big man du jour. And then, yeah, like, and I, I think the, there would be no real benefit to bringing Marcus Smart off the bench. Like if, if they needed a playmaker off the bench, if they needed someone who could handle the ball off the bench, that'd be one thing. But they have two point guards on the bench in Peyton Pritchard and, and Jeff Teague. So... Doing that, like, yeah, you get a little bigger, but I, I think you start Marcus Smart. You start basically the group that brought you to the Eastern Conference Finals last year when Gordon Hayward was out during the playoffs. And and you hope that with Pritchard and an improved Ojale and, you know, either Tristan Thompson or Daniel Tice on the bench with Robert Williams, 
that your bench is better than it was last season and that that ultimately propels the Celtics and gives them a chance against what, especially now with James Harden around, is an improved Eastern Conference. Do you think there's any situation where they do go back to double big against maybe larger teams? It just it was that bad. Absolutely not. You shake your head. I think it's possible. Like Bucks Sixers in a playoff series. Bucks Sixers in a regular season game. But there aren't many matchups where that will be beneficial, especially you know with Kemba back in the mix. All of a sudden, that's that's one more All Star caliber perimeter player that's going to play eventually a lot of minutes so i just don't think there's there's time or need to play those guys together when it hasn't worked and looks has looked awful most of the time when they're on the court together that that it would shock me if brad stevens hasn't learned about that group although he did start them again in the second half against the knicks and it didn't end up well no, and nothing against the Knicks really ended up well. I think the biggest thing about Kemba's return is how it affects the rotation, and it really limits the minutes where I think you just don't have a lot of creation on the court. With Kemba there, you can kind of have Jason Tatum come out and be the first sub and kind of start the second quarter. We've seen Tatum in the bench lineups be pretty successful. It's just at one point throughout the entire 48 minutes, you should have Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, or Jason Tatum on the court. And we saw that was such an important uh, part of the Celtics success uh, last year, especially with Gordon Hayward's having two of those guys on the court at the same time. If you just, it just allows you to have so much more flexibility and just there's less reason for, I was going to say my initial thought was Shemi Ojale minutes, but that guy's been amazing this year. There's less reason for uh, Aaron Neesmith minutes. We'll, we'll get to him later, but I just think the, the depth in terms of play making and creation on offense, there shouldn't be as many droughts in offense uh this with Kemba back as there have been when he's been absent yeah and I think everything will just get a little bit easier for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown they've had to create so much and they've had to do it with lineups that haven't provided a lot of spacing the two big lineup we've talked about like that just clogs up everything now you go from Daniel Tice at the four to Kemba Walker at the one and Jalen Brown at the four and and that's a huge difference from spacing that's a huge difference with the ease that those guys should be able to find their way to the rim. I think you'll see Jason Tatum start to draw some more fouls because of it. I think everything just gets a little easier because you have Kemba on the court. And I, I know that there's a lot of talk about how, you know, the hierarchy will go between Tatum, Brown and Walker, and especially Brown and Walker because Wa- Brown has played so well. Um, and I think that there is some validity to that and that it will be a little bit of a process. But but to me, like Kemba just helps accentuate everything. He he makes everything easier on those guys. And and the more you can have Kemba on the court next to those guys, just the easier it is for those guys. Yeah, I think the important thing is to not freeze Jalen Brown out. Like he's still he's shown that he's damn effective at getting his own shot. He's shooting a crazy percentage from the mid range, which I don't know if is that sustainable, but he clearly can create his own offense. And it's just making sure that he's involved on possessions, especially with Tatum on the bench. The thing that you mentioned about just like now going from Tice at the four to Jalen Brown at the four is wild. And it should, Jalen Brown should benefit tremendously from having Kemba Walker back. I'm just imagining the floor spacing. If you just run spread, pick and roll 
with a one five Kemba and like the big going to set a screen for him. Then you have Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown uh, all around, and that's just the ideal for an offense. And just we've seen Daniel Tice; he's more willing to shoot the three this year. But I'd much rather have downtown Jalen Brown spotting up from the corner than pretty much anyone else on the Celtics roster. And so Jalen Brown should actually uh, greatly benefit from Walker's court presence. And just and that's where we saw him really uh, excel last year was beating guys, uh, attacking closeouts, being the guy, being guys off the dribble from the corner. I think it's just the more offense, the better for the Celtics. Yeah, they have to, they're going to have to balance giving Jalen the opportunities to continue playmaking because I think that's, that's not just important for them short term, but that's important long term. And, and so, yes, Keba is going to cut into some touches for Tatum. Yes, he's going to cut into some touches for Brown. Um, but they, they'd still need to, continue feeding Jalen in those spots where he can make plays for others, make plays for himself and continue to evolve that portion of his game because he's been really good in that role so far this season. And, and it would, it would be a shame if, if the Celtics let that go dormant after and stagnate after, after Kemba returns. I don't think that will happen. I think Jalen has played well enough that, like he kind of surpassed Kemba in the hierarchy last year in the playoffs. Um, and I think that this start from Jalen Brown only solidifies that. And Kemba's not the guy who's going to complain about any of that stuff. He's not going to care if he doesn't have the same stats he used to. He's not going to care if he doesn't make the all-star team or whatever the case may be. That That's not what he's about. And I think that'll be important. But I do think continuing to to give Jalen those those chances. And and maybe that means playing him more with bench units, whatever. Um, they've got to find a way to to keep him involved in that way. Yeah, the thing Kemba's like celebrated anytime Jason Tatum went off last year, is eager to feed him the basketball. I think he'll do the same for Jalen Brown. Uh, I just think he's at the point of the career where he's more about winning and sharing the basketball. And it's just going to be interesting to see if Jalen Brown continues to get his touches. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, we can talk about another three players, which are going to be very interesting to see who gets touches. Kyrie Irving is back with the Brooklyn Nets, and it's going to be against Cleveland. I think he's playing tonight or tomorrow, and it'll be the first time he's playing with James Harden and Kevin Durant. Now, I just What watched, a blockbuster. A big trade, eh? Uh, I just watched the Nets take down the Bucks, in which was a very, very entertaining basketball game, and I just can't really conceive of how adding Kyrie Irving to that team changes what they can do offensively. Like I know it's going to be a positive for them, but like already having James Harden 
this James Harden and Kevin Durant on the court at the same time is wildly unstoppable. Like I was just gobsmacked by how good the Nets looked on offense. They are in Brad Stevens terms, a joke, a sick joke. They're going to score a ton of points. Uh, when you add Kyrie to that and it's Kyrie and Joe Harris spacing the court for Harden and Durant, who do you help off? If you help off DeAndre Jordan, it's a dunk. If you help off any of those other guys, it's wide open look for a great, great shooter or score and or score. They have a ton of talent. I think obviously their, their potential issues are on the defensive side and just ego and whatever else is going on with Kyrie because the last couple weeks when he was not playing basketball and from the sound of it, not really communicating with the organization fully about why he wasn't playing basketball. That's a, that's a potential issue. That is something that could hurt a team over the long run, hurt a locker room. And so those are things to watch, but the Nets have a silly amount of talent. Kevin Durant has played at a ridiculous level. The the Bucks had no answers for their offense, but scored every single time, which is part of why <laughs> that game was entertaining. Yeah, I think the, the struggle for the Nets is definitely going to be on the defensive end. The thing that's scary about Kyrie, and a lot of Celtics fans will have negative memories of Kyrie by, because of just the way things ended here and the whole, you know, I'm going to have my name retired if I'll come back if you have me. But Kyrie's statistics and Kyrie, like the way Kyrie played in his final years in Boston, he was so good and like had his most efficient year yet. I think he was great with playmaking, was very good at getting guys the ball in their spots, uh, was very good at coming off ball. He's an amazing shooter. Like I just, as much as there might be chemistry issues off the court, I just think on the court, Kyrie slides in nicely as long as there's like, not a like he doesn't desire to average 30 a game i'm sure but there's things that's like he could just get hot and they could just give the ball to Kyrie and he could still score 40 but i just think in terms of a playmaker and a guy who can play off the ball and a guy who shoots as well as him it's just i just don't know what you do there now the yeah, it's one of those things where in theory like they should make perfect basketball sense next to each other right Kyrie and harden and durant offensively they should just be ridiculous the problem is they've all bristled in the past at playing with other great talents. Kyrie wanted out of Cleveland partly because he wanted out of the shadow of LeBron James. Kevin Durant wanted out of Golden State because he didn't want to play anymore with Steph Curry. But he and played pretty well with Steph Curry when he was absolutely, there. <laughs> absolutely. James Harden has alienated star <laughs> after star. So it's just like, like yes, in theory – they should work well. They are certainly extraordinarily talented trio offensively. And Durant is a plus defender too. But I, I, I do think you wonder about how those guys will actually feel once they start playing with each other a lot and realize like, oh man, my touches are going down. This isn't what I absolutely envisioned for how things are going for me like it really depends we'll if they win or not like if they win and they're just scoring 130 Kyrie points Kyrie got to the finals four times in a row and still wanted yeah, out he was tired of all the winning then now he Kevin Durant back. won what three championships 
two championships, whatever it was, and he wanted out. So it has nothing to do with winning necessarily. Like it's, they could. Well, here's the thing, though: they could still win while being disgruntled. I think that's clear. It's kind of wild uh, the whole Kevin Durant thing, like leaving the Warriors because he wants credit. He wants to be recognized as like one of the best in the game. Like people. He's like complaining that people aren't going to recognize those championships because they were like Steph's team. But to add James Harden, like he already decided to team up with Kyrie Irving, but to add James Harden, are people going to give Kevin Durant his his credit if the Nets do end up winning? Like he kind of just went from one super stacked team with another superstar to another stacked team with a superstar. I mean, people are just going to say, like, especially what if James Harden get, wins finals MVP? We're getting, like, well ahead of ourselves here. And I I know you don't like making predictions, but does this make the Nets, the, like, the absolute favorites in the East? I, I think there's too much that could go wrong for them. I think defensively they won't be on the level that they need to be. And I think there's a chance that there are – diminishing returns from having three ridiculously gifted individual offensive players but they'll be impossible to guard they they could certainly win a title but th- there's a lot there's just a lot there that can go wrong from whatever's going on with Kyrie to the fact that they don't have much defense or depth they, they have zero depth yeah so there are but at the same time like you normally win with top end talent, and they have a ridiculous amount of top end talent. How is Kyrie going to handle being the third option? I th- I think he'll be fine. Like, is was Kyrie? I feel like he did leave Cleveland, but I don't know if that was just if that was basketball wise or just like it's really tiring to be in the shadow of LeBron James. But I feel like basketball wise, he's not like that the most selfish of players. He's definitely like, he does like to pound the ball into the ground, but so does James Harden. So does Kevin Durant. They all had like, that's part of the problem that I mean, it's worked so far with just Harden and Durant. I think adding Kyrie will be a definitely interesting um, possibility. How do you think the Celtics match up? Because in theory, they seem like one of the teams best equipped to try and slow down that team. They have uh, three very good defenders and Marcus smart, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, They have, uh, like a, those guys can also score. You you could imagine that the Celtics can try and keep up with them. Um, I think the Celtics and the Bucks right now, maybe the Sixers are kind of the best equipped to slow down the Nets. But how do you think the Celtics match up specifically? I mean, I'm not sure there's any team that's equipped to slow them down. James Harden in Houston was literally getting double teamed at half court. At half court. And now you won't even be able to come remotely close to doing that. I think it's going to be a problems, problems for everyone trying to guard them. The Celtics, they don't have, they simply put, do not have the same level of top-end talent that the Nets do. Jason Tatum is great. Jalen Brown is great. Kemba Walker is great. They are not nearly as talented as Durant, Harden, and Kyrie Irving. That's just a fact. So they'll have to, they would have to win on executing and playing defense and staying together and yeah, all those intangible yeah. things. Yeah. And, and, that, that's and the not turning the ball over in the fourth quarter, 17 times when you're in the Eastern conference finals, they can't do many of those things, but they're pretty good in close games so far this year. Uh, I think a lot of their record is pretty inflated. I think Brad Stevens mentioned this 
that they're, I think they're four and two in close games and they could easily be much lower in the standings than they are now. Um, but who knows? That's what happens with basketball. Say someone on the Renets get hurt. Like we've seen players in the uh, league this year just going down. CJ McCollum just got an injury, uh, just wild injuries left and right. If one of those guys get hurt, the Nets don't have a lot of depth. We don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, we spent all of last year being like, oh, the Bucks are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals at least. And that didn't happen. So that's why they play the games. It's going to be very interesting to see where how the Celtics stack up. But unfortunately, we don't get another game against the Nets until I think after the all, like it's not even on the schedule yet because they don't know when it's going to be played. The Nets are my favorite experiment in basketball right now. They are just ridiculously loaded from a playmaking and shot making standpoint. It is outrageous. They have so many guys who are gifted offensive players. Actually, they have three guys who are gifted, <laughs> but they're no, so Harris is pretty gifted. They are so gifted, um, and but also like there's there's a lot of layers to win, being a winning championship winning caliber team, and that's that's the stuff you wonder if if this Nets team will will ever achieve. How do you think Joe Harris feels like? Two years ago, he was on the Nets. Like it was a scrappy team. He played his way into like a pretty big contract, and then within like six months, he goes from uh, what Spencer Dinwiddie being his best teammate to then playing alongside Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. He's either got to be thrilled or a little bit like I. I'm never going to get shine in this. Like he's probably going to get very open looks though. He is going to get such open looks. He might be the biggest beneficiary individually of all of this like i think harden is going to ha- have to sacrifice some Kyrie is going to have to sacrifice some kd could have to sacrifice some joe harris is going to get he's going to be butt naked all the time <laughs> because there is nobody else to even consider helping off of and he's the type of guy who when he's left butt naked can kill so i He's got he's a, he, he's a butt naked killer, most would say. <laughs> he is a butt naked killer. Um, yeah, I, I think Joe Harris stand like his his three point percentage could be ridiculous this year because teams are gonna they're gonna have to double off someone, and you don't really double off Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or James Harden. No, no, you don't, and it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens. All right, it's now time to jump into the listener gods. They had questions. Uh, before we get into specific questions, I just want to shout out M. Mac Lee, who asked us a question about Kemba and how they'll affect Jalen. I think we already talked about that. And then also my main man, Truth Faustino. Eddie uh, was asking about the starting lineup. We talked about that as well. So let's start with this question from Ritvik at Let's Go Celtics 18. What is the biggest strength and biggest weakness of this Boston Celtics team? Biggest strength. They've got three dudes. <laughs> they have, well, they have 12 dudes, but like three. Three dude dudes. Dude dudes. All right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and I think especially the fact that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both six, seven, six, eight, and can do as much as they can on both sides of the court. That is a huge strength. I I always felt like last year, especially with Hayward involved that like 
as good as Kemba was, and I thought until Tatum kind of went wild, Kemba was their best player. Um, their strength was still always in having six, seven versatile guys who could do anything. Those are at a premium in the NBA. Um, and I think that's that's still the strength to me. Yeah, no, they're they just have two young guys who are stars. Jalen Brown playing like an all-star this year. You can turn to them in basically any moment. We talk about top-end talent winning games with the Nets. It's the same thing with the Celtics. I think it's going to be majorly important for basically their top-end talent to be healthy, for them to move forward, and they're going to need to come together with those four guys who got you to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. That's basically the heart and soul of the team, and so that's how they're going to move forward this year. Biggest weakness, though. Biggest weakness, wing depth. Go from top end wings as a strength to wing depth as a weakness. Romeo Langford could be back whenever he could help to some extent. I have no idea how much because he didn't really do much during his rookie season, but they don't really have many wings. Shimmy Ojale shooting as well as he has, I think, is a big deal. And shooting as much as he has, Shimmy Ojale is shooting 9.4 three pointers per 100 possession. And you trust him. You just yeah, he's he's been making them. You trust him. Nine point four three pointers per hundred possessions. He is letting those fly, fly. Um, and I think that's a big deal because it, it provides spacing. It amplifies the impact of him being at least a decent three point shooter. So I think that's good. Um, but still, wing depth, not good, not good. Peyton Pritchard emerging very good is he a wing though no absolutely not he is a ball handler he is a short man absolutely not a wing um so that's an issue three-point shooting outside of tatum brown and walker and marcus smart 40 percent three-point shooter thank you very much and and marcus smart um but definitely still at least a little bit of an issue although it seems less now because of ojale's development and pritchard being a passable NBA player right away. And Jeff Teague being lights out from three. Now we have a question from Farziar Zandian. I hope I definitely butchered that name, but he asks about Romeo. Do we have any idea when Romeo is coming back? And do you think he can give them something off the bench? If Even if it's just like to the level of what Shemi's giving you now, like what, what kind of boost can Romeo Langford give this roster? I think the the biggest boost that he'll give is the defensive versatility. Even as a rookie, he was solid defensively. And right now the Celtics just don't have enough six 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 seven bouncy athletes. They don't have enough of those. They have two in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are great. Marcus Smart is smaller but kind of serves the same purpose because he's so damn good defensively. But off the bench... They don't have any of that. And so that's where Romeo Langford fills a hole. The defensive versatility of lineups with him is going to be much greater than it would be with Jeff Teague, much greater than it would be with Peyton Pritchard. So, and especially if, if Langford can show some sort of offensive production, then that that defensive versatility will help a lot. The defense is important because the Celtic wing depth feels like the obvious choice for the weakness, but the Celtics just haven't been a very good defensive team this year. And that's not something we are used to saying with the Brad Stevens team. I don't, I think they thought the two big lineup would provide more kind of size and length 
but they just feel like they let a lot of guys into the paint and they haven't been um I mean they just let Detroit destroy them the Pacers destroy them they're like I mean the Knicks game I think is a obviously an outlier but the defense hasn't been as strong and I'm not exactly sure why that is and I haven't like looked at statistics or anything or like done research but the defense has not been great you would assume it's going to get better as they kind of scheme up uh it's not necessarily something Kemba Walker's return you think would improve but he's been pretty solid um on defense but what do you think the biggest issue for them defensively has been so far I I mean you look at the points in the paint stats that is just glaring compared to last year. I, I'm I'm trying to get the exact stats right now, but last year they were third in points in the paint allowed, opposing points in the paint per game. Um, and this year they've been not good. And it, it seems like guys are just getting where they want against them. Um, I mean, Emmanuel quickly got a floater any single time he was down on the court. It was It was yeah. kind of wild. So they're they're 18th right now in that stat, and I always felt like that was a good indicator last season of of how they were playing defensively, because they're built in a way that they're going to be playing some smaller guys. They need to rely on getting into guys and ball pressure and all that stuff. And when they don't have that, then you see it in points in the paint. That's where it shows up. Like they have to be really sharp to to keep other teams from that, and they're they've been a little bigger this year um, sometimes, but I still think for the most part, like they're playing some small lineups. Like when Peyton Pritchard and Jeff Teague play together, that's small. When when it's harder to get into the ball when you're a smaller guy because if you're a smaller guy going up against a more athletic or taller wing, you try to get into the ball and the guy just like blows right past you. So it might make sense if you just like with their smaller lineups out there that they're not as good as uh, pressuring the ball because that was the thing that made their defense so impressive last year was five guys moving on a string like really flying around denying um, entry passes to the post. That's basically how they won the Philadelphia series. Was basically making it impossible for Embiid to get post touches and really doing a good job of just um, denying the ball that way. You mentioned points in the paint. One of our listeners, Andrew L at Scal speaks also notes that the Celtics are 16th in fast break points and asks, why do you think it is? And do you expect it to continue? Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's just another sign that their defense has not been, not been good. Um, when, I think that that's partly like when you play two bigger guys in a league that's going small, it can be tough to keep up. And I think the Celtics have have they've not looked good when when they've gone bigger. And I think their numbers have typically been better um, when they play smaller. They've been better at other times, but but they need to f- find more consistency. As, as Brad Stevens has said a few times lately, they are they've won a number of close games, and without that, they they wouldn't be close to where they are right now, which is somehow at the top of the Eastern conference. It's working out so far and it's, they've been done so much winning that I feel like we've done um, less trade exception talk than we, but we got two questions, one from Matt Phillips, one from, I believe Ben Anderson, both asking about potential TPE targets. J King, who's a realistic person that they could target with that huge biggest trade player exception ever. Aren't these all just the same guys we've talked about 
a yes, million but times. Pe- but the people want us hear us say Aaron Gordon again. <laughs> and I, I think there are what three guys on the Magic who could be possible. I, I think Fournier, Gordon, and Terrence Ross. Oh, like, man, man, Terrence Ross. I don't think him and Javante could be on the same bench together without beef going. They just did you see how Javante shut down? You hold on to that one game forever. You were going to hold on to that one Javante Green. Because I saw it in person. That was, a, that was the only game I got to sit real up close to the court. And I just saw how bad Vinny Sex Pants was at basketball and how good Javante Green was at shutting down Terrence Ross. Those things will be burned into my brain. Why did you have to shoot a stray at poor Vincent Poirier, man? Because it's very clear in my brain. I was sitting very close and I saw that it did, didn't work. He didn't deserve that. Yeah, maybe he did. Deserve ain't got nothing to do with it, Jay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, you look at that, those guys. Um, I think you I'm, look at it by also like teams of like who's out of it now and was probably going to look to tank for what it, Cade Cunningham. It's like a great draft class. It's basically the Rockets look to be tanking now is maybe a guy like PJ Tucker. Tucker. I like scowls a bit big about the PJ Tucker. Do you think he fits in with the Celtics? Like he is definitely a six, six to six, eight guy. He's uh, I think of him more of a small ball five, just because that's what he played with the Rockets. Can you play PJ Tucker and another big, or are you just adding to your kind of surplus of fives? uh, You can absolutely play PJ Tucker with another big. He was next to Clint Capella. That's a fair point. When the Rockets were awesome. So, yeah, you can definitely play him next to another big. Um, He would fit certainly this team, this year's team, just because he's such an upgrade defensively. He's so good defensively. He can shoot a little bit. Um, But the only problem But he's not like your classic wing. Like, he's not your, like, I think of him, he can play the four, but he's not, like, He's just not a, as dynamic as a threat in terms of offensively. He's not. He's not. He can knock but, down the corner but he's threes, a but he's not a changing defender. Absolute game changing defender. And, and maybe if, you need that against the Nets. And if you put game changing defenders around Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker, that seems like a pretty good plan to me. Like imagine a, a closing lineup with PJ Tucker at the five. Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, and Kemba Walker. Or you replace Kemba Walker there with Tristan Thompson. Then you have a defensive lineup that it should be pretty scary in terms of just their switchability. In a, like, You're already I, trying to bench Kemba in crunch time? I'm just talking about the best five defensive lineup you could run out there or the potentially adding P.J. Tucker. Yeah, I, so I, I think he would really he's, – he's one of the best defenders in the league. I think he would have a huge impact on this Celtics team. The problem with adding PJ Tucker would be one that his contract is expiring and two, that he's an an older player whose prime is probably in the past and doesn't necessarily fit with the timeline of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And if, if the Celtics can go out and get someone to add to the young core, and to grow with the young core, I think that makes more sense than an aging veteran, even though P.J. Tucker for this year's team could be a better option than some of the other guys we're talking about. See, I always look at it, and this is definitely just like being poisoned by playing too much 2K. Like, I like the fact that he has an expiring deal because you can just hit the reset button next year. But I understand it that you're just not going to get as much value 
I look at other teams who are kind of out of it, like the Kings and Buddy Heald clearly wants out of uh, Sacramento, but I look at his deal. I think he has three years left. And I, was I feel like, like I, everyone wants out of Sacramento. Well, of course. Have you ever been to Sacramento? I've been, I've driven to Sacramento with you. It's an awful place. We both know that no one wants to be there. Um, but I don't really want to commit three years to Buddy Heald. And I don't know. I think like Aaron Gordon, maybe if you can get, I don't know his exact contract, but I think you'd have to get him extension. Like that seems like a guy who kind of fits with um, the timeline, but I'm very hesitant to get someone uh, who has three or four years left just because they already don't have a lot of cap flexibility when you're paying your top three guys kind of close to $30 million. Do you want to pay another guy maybe like Buddy Hill who's already making over $20 million for the next three years, or do you want to kind of leave that open? There's not a lot of sp- – like that's the thing about the trade exception is like you can use it for, to get a big contract in now, but then once you use it, you go away, and then you don't have any more cap flexibility. And so I get – I get it spending it on someone who's like a little bit longer in contract than PJ uh, Tucker, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Cause I don't know who exactly that player is. Who's a basically the ideal person is a young player. Who's on a rookie deal or who's going to about to be extended. Those players don't get traded. Like and, those, and, they have value. And, and the good thing about PJ Tucker. Well, one of the good things would be that his contract is only $8 million, a little less than $8 million. So you could theoretically use, eight million of that TPE on PJ Tucker and then leave twenty million dollars open for an offseason acquisition or you know split that and use some of some more of it at the trade deadline as well. So they the Celtics will have options with that. Um it's just kind of what they'll do, what they'll prioritize and and PJ Tucker, I mean he'd be interesting. That's for sure. It'd be very interesting. And if you read the uh, article from uh, Kelly Eco and Sam Amick about the last kind of months in Houston, PJ Tucker sounds like he does not want to be there anymore. So that could help facilitate a trade. Speaking of trades, we have this question from Jose Chavery at Tuttle Brazil. Does Gordon Hayward's success in Charlotte say anything about how he's potentially underutilized in Boston? Nope. It <laughs> it just shows that the top guys on the Celtics are pretty good. It like, also shows that Gordon Hayward, pretty good when given more opportunity. Yeah, you know who else is good with more opportunity? Jalen Brown. Like, the Celtics just had, I don't want to say too many guys, because in the end, they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. They didn't have enough guys. But they had a number of players who were very good. Um, and Hayward... Yes, sometimes he lost touches to other players, but I don't think it was that he was underutilized. I just think the Celtics had a number of really good players and partly because they ran a lot of offense through Kemba and Jason Tatum, but partly because of how Gordon plays. Like he's, He just wasn't as aggressive as those other guys in trying to make plays all the time. And he was still really good. Like his averages were kind of wild. It's not like his efficiency has gone up crazy amounts. It's really just his scoring totals, which you would expect given um, more opportunity in Charlotte. I just wanted to bring up this question because I don't know if you know this, Jay, but we are now also a little bit of a Charlotte Hornets podcast because the Charlotte Hornets are now my second favorite team. And I just want to talk about uh, Devontae Graham. I mean, that guy stinks. They need to stop giving him the basketball. He's single-handedly ruined multiple games for the Hornets this year. It's absurd. 
I wasn't prepared for a strong Devontae Graham take right now. He's been, he was good for three months last year, and everyone's ready to anoint him a, a solid basketball player in this league. And it's just, I mean, they're desperately hurt with Cody Zeller being out, which is not something I thought I would say. You watch their games, way too Mac Biznak Biombo, but they got to get rid of uh, Devontae Graham and start giving LaMelo minutes because that guy is awesome. Yeah. And, and to, to the initial question... <laughs> I have to steer it away from your. You're not here your for Hornets talk. Your Hornets take. Back to the initial question, like I don't think anyone's surprised that Gordon Hayward's good at basketball. Like everyone knew that. I think everyone knew with more opportunities he was going to score a little bit more. There was no surprise from anyone in the Celtics organization. No surprise about that. It's just in Boston he was playing with a more talented team. The Hornets, they've had like a surprisingly okay start. I think they're six and eight. They were and frisky though. They were frisky. I don't know if they're they still have been frisky, frisky, but they are. They were frisky. They have been frisky. They are a frisky bunch with frisky Lamelo Ball and and their if, if their, their offensive scouting has just been through the roof. I, you just watch the games and you go, wow, whoever's doing the advanced scouting there is uh, doing a great job. Um. This question from Kevin Murphy, 1205. Should we already be second guessing the Neesmith pick, or is it too soon? Feels like a glaring miss juxtaposed to Pritchard's success and the lack of wing depth, and especially seeing guys like Sadiq Bey. I'll mention uh, like Xavier Tillman, other wings who were uh, pretty good. Uh, is is Neesmith a failure? Is the uh, question, Jay? Let's just tone it down. <laughs> Let's all tone it down. Has he been good to start his rookie season? No. 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 No, he has not. But a lot of guys struggle at first in the NBA. And uh, especially when you're 19 and 20 years old, not everyone has the talent of Jason Tatum. And Jason Tatum didn't have to do much. He was pretty fucking good as a rookie. Never mind. I retract that statement. Go ahead. Yeah, he he was pretty damn good. But, (laughs) and especially you have the extenuating circumstances of Naismith, Naismith was hurt. During his last year of college, he was hurt early in the pre-draft process. He did not get summer league. He did not have as much time as guys normally get to spend with coaching staff before the season. It, it's just a whirlwind, and you can see it's a whirlwind for him when he plays. Um, but like you look at guys around the league, Pascal Siakam was in the G League for a while. And now, now he still stinks. No, no, no. Um, he has gone through some struggles. He is definitively not an all-star. I can't believe Gary Washburn voted him all NBA last year, but that's, we don't need to talk about that. Another Gary shot. <laughs> Another unprovoked Gary shot. But, yeah, it's way too early. Just way Neesmith, too freaking early to, he's just to a, pass judgment on these guys. He's a victim of fast PP success because you see one rookie come in and do very well. And one rookie have like the normal rookie struggles. And you think, Oh, the other guy should do this. He's a little like we drafted him ahead of uh, Peyton Pritchard, but people forget that Peyton Pritchard was NBA ready. And he came in, played four years of college makes all the difference. And I saying that mostly just to piss you off. uh, That was my initial statement for using NBA ready, but Peyton Pritchard is just like clearly has a, a flow to the basketball game where he knows what he's doing and just knows how to react in a number of different situations. I don't know. I know you have a problem with the phrase NBA ready, but clearly he seems more 
equipped to be able to play yeah. in the NBA. I'm cool most. with NBA ready now. Now you can say a guy was NBA ready, but it bothers me when guys say about like a late first round or early second round pick, he's NBA ready because he played in college. That's not necessarily the case. A lot of guys who play in college and appear polished in college just stink. And but Peyton Richard think, is not that way. He he is NBA ready. But don't you think he has benefited from all the minutes of basketball that he has played? And it seems like he is more just in terms of decision making. He seems uh, more. I'm trying to come up with a synonym for ready, but I got nothing more prepared to play in the NBA uh, than would Aaron Neesmith. He seems to just be able to fit in and know what he's doing where Neesmith looks very lost out there. I am not convinced that that is uh, because he played four years in college. Give me another reason then. Is he just naturally gifted? He's good. Peyton Pritchard is good. That's a fair point. I can't really debate that one. Yeah, Uh, but... But Neesmith, just just take a deep breath, wait for his career to unfold, see what happens. I think everybody was in agreement that he's going to be a shooter at some point and will end up being a good shooter. If he does that, then everything else will look so much different. Like, and he made a nifty pass against the Magic. People aren't talking about that enough. He made a pretty nifty pass. But like... If he does become the shooter that people think he could be, then he's going to be a helpful player. And right now he's two for 14 or whatever he is from behind the arc. And that doesn't look good, but wait till he hits seven in a row. Ooh, bold prediction from the kid. All right, we got a last couple of questions here. We'll wrap it up. These are kind of in the miscellaneous question, but this is from Matt Newman. Who is the biggest chucker in the league right now? He suggests... Tim Hardaway Jr. or Jordan Clarkson? Don't look it up. Who do you think is the biggest chucker in the league? Uh, biggest chucker in the league. Because it might still be Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> Clarkson is definitely a bucket getter. Um, I looked uh, it up and I looked up attempts per 36 minutes or like per 100 possessions. And all the top guys are like stars. And then there's Karis Levert. And I think he has to win uh, Chucker so far. Horrible news coming out with his um, injury and just not what you want to see from him. But when he, at least this season, when he got on the court, he was putting the ball up and he's like in the top 10 of attempts per 100 possessions. So I think it has to go to him. But then you look at that list and Jordan Clarkson is also right there. Yeah, Clarkson, um, D'Angelo Russell is up there. But is does that count as a chucker if you're the first option on your horrendous Western Conference team? I mean, like I feel like a chucker is a guy who takes like he'd more be shots a chucker than he anywhere. Should. Though he'd be a chucker anywhere. That is fair. Dylan Absolutely. Brooks. Dylan Brooks is the biggest chucker in the league, without doubt. It's Dylan Brooks. He is. He's like what top twenty in that list of like attempts per 100 possessions or something. I don't know, but he that man chucks that yeah. man. Has never seen a shot he doesn't appreciate. Speaking of frisky teams, I really enjoyed watching the Grizzlies take down the Suns the other night. And so that was, he he absolutely falls in that category. All right. I'm asking this question just because I know it will piss you off. This is from Smarfus Marks, Ben Cooper K. Who's the most ticklish Celtic and why? Who the fuck are these people (laughs) that ask these questions? 
That was the exact answer I'm looking for. And now I'm not going to answer that question. I have no idea. I have no fucking, I've never tickled a Celtics player. I think it's it's Javante Green, um, but that's just my best guess. No, I'm not going to give an explanation why. But the best question for last from Andrew Moore, 1987. Any updates on Yabu? Feel like we could use Yabu on the bench, maybe in a coaching role. Jay, you're a reporter. Any updates on Yabu? I actually am not aware of what Yabu is going is up to these days. He's, he plays in the French Basketball League for Osvel of the French League LNB Pro A. So that's pretty cool. I saw some highlights of Yabu. Average 11 there. points and four rebounds a game. Shooting 44.6% from behind the arc on four, four attempts a game. They could use someone to stretch the floor like that. Now, I'm just – if anyone doesn't follow Yabu on Instagram, he's the king of posting, like, pics of him chilling on a boat looking luxurious and living life marvelous, marvelously. And so I um, just wanted to say uh, shouts to Yabu for being a great individual. Yeah, and shouts to him for sh- shooting, shooting the ball that well. Yeah. He's going to leave Asel Leon Villabane, Villabane uh, to the Liga B championship, uh, I would say. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'd have to agree. I mean, I mean do you think Bulazak is going to take? Oh, my God. There's another team called Dijon. Oh, that's just that. That's just a mustard team. This league's ridiculous. I don't. I, we've completely gone off the rails. I don't think we need to do this anymore. Um, but. Jay, any final thoughts as the Celtics go into a two-game series against the 76ers uh, for the rest of this week? You know who else is on his team? Norris Cole. Ooh, a little NBA talent. They're David Lighty. Don't say I I don't really recognize that name, but sure. Ohio State. Derek Walton Jr. Sounds like they're stacked. Sounds like this league is the place to be. I I might have to start watching ASVEL. Well, if you if you do, we'll talk about it here on Anything's Potable. We will also talk about anything related to the Boston Celtics, and we'll come to you after they play these two-game series against the Philadelphia 76ers. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it five stars. Tell a friend. Tell a friend's friend. Tell anyone that this is the best Celtics podcast. That's right. This is Anything's Potable! I love that Norris Cole is still hooping, man.